Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We work with organizations to make a stronger impact to clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using today's hashtags, Nonprofit Utopia, Kiela360, Near Northwest Arts Council, and Affordable Arts Spaces. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit utopia. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions right now if you'd like. In order to use the chat room, all you need to do is press the button underneath the chat room, and then you can start typing, and you will find a link right on the episodes page. If you have any specific questions, you can email me at Valerie F. Leonard at nonprofitutopia.com. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. And if you are looking at this from, from our episode page, you will see that number on the top of the page. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the Nonprofit Utopia community. We've included a link to our mailing list in the comments section on the episode page. So we talk about gentrification almost every day, and when we do, we focus on displacement of local residents. What's equally problematic that you may not hear quite as much about is the displacement of artists and art venues from those same gentrifying communities. With average annual earnings from art projects of around $5,000, the term starving artist is sometimes closer to reality than cliche, and we'll get more clarification from our guests today. And as a result, it's not uncommon for artists to live in marginalized communities. And when they do live in those communities, they tend to add a lot of value to those communities. In fact, for every dollar of value that they generate firsthand, they can leverage that by about eight times. And most arts organizations that create new work have annual budgets of less than 50000 and the artists themselves tend to subsidize the bulk of the community culture. And unfortunately, grants from government and corporate sponsors only account for about 15% of arts budgets in local communities. So you can see there is you know, quite a mismatch there. So we'll talk about how we can stem the curb of displacement that can come from, you know, the artist actually creating value that they're not always 
in position to capitalize on. So we'll talk about how to use design build strategies to prevent displacement of local neighborhood artists. And before we do that, I want to introduce you to our two guests for today. So our first guest is Kiela Smith-Upton. She's a seasoned professional and artist and independent associate with Legal Shield Business Solutions, and she also goes by the moniker Kiela360. She has spent 25 years planning and creating collaborative community mural projects, and she has significant experience in education, sales, customer service, team building, training, residential real estate investing, mortgage lending, and management. Kiela earned her BFA at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. While being raised in a family of entrepreneurial licensed architects, Kiela also learned from the spectrum of architecture, design build, and developer owner services, but has rarely seen art space developed for art ownership. She's committed to making this a reality for creatives locally in Chicago as well as nationwide, and some of her clients have included community organizations, artists, small businesses, city agencies, nonprofits, galleries, museums, contractors, architects, schools, individuals, and families. Laura Weathered is a visual artist and cultural activist dedicated to building sustainable creative communities through collaboration and cooperative ownership. Laura applies creative skills to practical problems within the community context. She's the executive director at the Near Northwest Arts Council, and this is a nationally recognized artist-directed nonprofit organization that initiated an artist district in 1986. Wicker Park centered in the Flat Iron Al Iron Gallery, I'm sorry. NNWAC contributed to local arts planning research, advocated for policy changes, and organized artists to design, build, and manage artists' work-live space, completed in 2003, offering a significant hedge against gentrification as owners. Laura earned an MFA at University of Southern California in visual arts. She also completed postgraduate work in urban development at Spurtis as well as the entrepreneurial workshop with Bill Strickland associated with the Harvard Business School. So I want to thank you ladies so much for being guests with us. And again, we have Kiela Smith-Upton and Laura Weathered. Okay, guys, it's indeed an honor to have you both on this podcast to talk about ways to preserve affordable art spaces. And we'll start with Kiela. Kayla, can you give us a little background on how you came to get involved in the arts and the struggle to preserve affordable art spaces? Um, well, good afternoon, Valerie. Thank you for having us. I, it's, I guess it's always been in my blood ever since a child, really, mm -hmm. because gro growing up in a family of architects who are also uh, in the 60s, grassroots civil rights activists and really believe in the importance of 
connecting with community. My father um, was a leader in the civil rights movement and actually left architectural school for a few years to do that and met my mother while wow. he was doing that. And they both were very involved in connecting directly with the needs of the communities and um, people's rights as well as just the general scope of what the civil rights movement involved. And so then after that, after him serving in that role and becoming an architect, I literally grew up in the the reality of seeing the built environment um, under or beginning to understand um, spaces, places we mm-hmm. were exposed to art and then becoming and studying and becoming a professional artist myself. I saw projects that my family did that were design build or where they were the architect or that were an attempt later in the years um, to do mixed income development in the effort Mm -hmm. to preserve affordable housing. And I also listened to a lot of the frustrations that my father's companies um, had over the years with trying to interact and deal with either developers or community people or civic leaders who talked a good talk, but didn't Mm -hmm. either deliver on it or didn't know how to deliver on it or just really kind of gave lip service to this idea of having true affordable space and in particular affordable space for the arts, as you said in my bio, um, is few and far between. It's not like a priority that most people put out there as a need, even though it, it truly is. Okay, great. That is really, really interesting. And then for you, Laura, can you tell us a little bit about the Near Northwest Community Arts Council, how the organization got started, and in particular, how you came to be a part of the organization? Um, Thanks, Valerie. This is a great opportunity. Um, The Near Northwest Arts Council was founded when Harold Washington was mayor, so we were pre-internet uh, community organizing was, um, you know, come down and meet your neighbors. Here's a problem. What are our solutions? Um, mm-hmm. So it was that sort of activity. And it was artists and social service workers, teachers, residents in the community. And quite a few of the artists that were part of this conversation were frustrated with constantly being displaced out of space. We're kind of mm-hmm. the original placers that see a space and change it, utilize it, make it worthwhile, and then the property owners have a new vision of their property and kick us out and either sell it or want to rent it to someone at a higher income level. So we have an honest face-to-face discussion. Do we really organize ourselves above ground to address displacement, um, which may um, accelerate our own demise, or is this a, a problem that we can address as a community? So when Harold Washington was mayor, Luis Gutierrez was our alderman who went on to become congressman, and he was on Mm -hmm. the special events committee, and there were studies and cultural plans and art space. Um, They looked at other cities. They looked at legislative issues. They kind of really um, 
paid attention to what we were saying and amassed a lot of research and data and models. And so we were a part of that and energized by that kind of new era of open government and uh, turned mm-hmm. right around and asked the, the Department of Housing, we want to create, we want to create affordable space for artists. And they thought we were nuts. I mean, they really <laughs> said, go get yourself a developer. And they said, you know, artists choose to be poor on purpose, and you're not high on our list of needy populations. And wow. so we set about writing a business plan, doing a feasibility study. We found that there were quite a few city employees who had artists who were relatives, um, friends, colleagues who were running into issues of how do you manage a professional career if you're constantly being uprooted or asked to pay increasingly high rents. So displacement was on everyone's mind, but we didn't have a clear idea of what the solution was um, until we looked at artist housing in other cities and realized that it was not the huge challenge we thought it to be and that a cooperative model made sense. Um, We wanted democratic control. Um, And so we were able to create or found an artist district and a gallery um, performance space in in the Flatiron building and create that network of artists and audience Um, just by being there and hosting events and collaborating on, you know, everything you can think of that comes under Mm -hmm. community arts, Um, creating murals, creating workshops in the schools, um, working with the park district to create projects. Um, And so the artist housing was something that we knew that, needed, you know, some solid kind of collaborative, cooperative strategy. And Mm -hmm. when we sat around a table and added up how much we paid in rent over some odd years, and if we put it together, we realized that we could afford a multi-million dollar project. And that was our aha moment of, oh, yeah, we can do this. And then our next step was really we did an inventory of what we knew, what skills we had, and we added that up. And it was we kind of covered the gamut of um, of every skill you can imagine, accounting, creative writing, grant writing, venues, special events, management, on and on. And so that was very empowering. And um, we did that, mm, I would say, 1990. And um, Mm -hmm. collectively made decisions, organized ourselves as a co-op, found a building, had a business plan, had a commitment from the artist, and By 1996, we were ready to buy our building and uh, worked with a team of professionals 
who shared our values and helped make the project real. So we moved in in 2003. Wow. Well, I wow. Think, that, that is some I, awesome stuff. I think um, a, a thing to clarify and correct me if I'm wrong Laura because I know we met before your project was finished um, near Northwest Arts Council didn't start out with this as its mission it just flowed from the foundation foundational mission of what near Northwest Arts Council was and this just really fit which is right our original purpose was to create a resource center that would help artists um, in career development and enhancing education locally and addressing issues of affordable space, um, job sector issues. Um, and then, you know, how do we, how do we work together to find, you know, financing to make our dreams reality? Mm hmm Wow, so that that's very interesting. So, Kiela, how did you guys end up meeting? <laughs> we met um, because Laura, or the near north the near Northwest Arts Council under Laura's direction, submitted a request. I think it was an internship, right, Laura? Or yes, seeking yeah. an, an internship or assistantship or something like that at the gallery in the Flatiron Building. And I was actually in school at School of the Art Institute at the time seeking to do a cooperative education um, semester, and I happened to do it with the Near Northwest Arts Council, and that was when mm -hmm. we first met. Oh, awesome, awesome. And you and we stayed, in, stayed in touch since. over the years. Yeah, between right. Chicago Public Mural Group and I organized and hosted the National Association of Artists Organizations Conference and tapped right. Kiela to take um, our uh, conference attendees on a tour of murals and kind of share a history and um, and. More recently, when I was working on the Bronzeville Artist Loss, I asked Kiela to help me with um, setting up the advisory board to interview artists for that opportunity. And I, I think a big reason why we've stayed connected and reached out to each other in significant ways is because we both share values about um, community mm -hmm. empowerment, about the collaborative um, value of artists, not only solving our own problems, but um, the collaboration with the community because the murals that I've created over the years have been collaborative, community-based, and Laura is aware of that, mm -hmm. and I was aware of what her organization was doing, and so we found opportunities to keep in touch throughout the years. Okay, great. Um, so I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Kiela Smith-Upton. She is an independent associate with Legal Show, but that's not why she's here. She's here to talk about art under the moniker, moniker Kiela360, and we're also joined by Laura Weathered. She is the executive director of the Near Northwest Arts Council. 
We'll be taking questions from our listening audience very, very shortly at about 2.30 or so. And if you want to post questions in the chat room, you can do so right now. Our call-in number is 347-884-8121. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm I thought sorry. I was muted. I apologize. This is Kiela. I just wanted to clarify something really quickly for people if they're wondering because there's a disconnect for people when they hear Legal Shield because we're not here to talk about that. But the reason that it's relevant for me is that I started doing that business specifically with the intention to help artists during a artist mean business okay. workshop that I hosted. I hosted at my mural studio at the time, and it just kind of grew okay. from there. But um, this larger vision that Laura and I are working together to bring to life is um, totally unrelated. So, okay. Just to, you know, it confuses All people right. sometimes. So I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Awesome. So I'll just say Kiela360. Is, is that okay? That's fine. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And, and before we get back into our discussion, I just want to reach out to our folks in our international audience. We noticed that, you know, more and more people from other countries are listening, and we want to make sure that our podcast guests actually reflect the views from your country. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. So, Laura, I was really alarmed, you know, to read on your website that typically artists are significant drivers of community redevelopment but are often not able to take advantage of the full value that they create in their own neighborhoods, you know, because of the displacement, right? So I just right. get a sense for... How how large is this problem? Well, I would say it's worldwide. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> artists in in major capitals, I don't know. Developers follow artists. You know, they kind mm-hmm. of reinvent space and attract attention, attract an audience. Um, you know, encourage many informal collaborations. Um, So there's spark plugs to culture in community. And so developers want to jump on that bandwagon and take advantage of it. But artists um, rarely kind of work on the scale where they can take advantage of that. In other words, you mm-hmm. have to own your property in order to defend your rights against displacement. Um, mm-hmm. You, as a renter, you just, you don't have much clout. Folks are pretty quick to say, if you can't afford it, move on down the road. Um, mm-hmm. And when we were looking at our feasibility study, we found artists in Germany and Ecuador and Italy um, shared our kind of um, our fear of displacement and were eager to share strategies. 
sometimes it was finding a benevolent landlord, but then we'd find out within a very short time uh, the landlord needed to pull the money out for his own retirement or other schemes. So it was really from the very beginning that we wanted not only democratic control, but we wanted absolute control over the property um, and found that property values, um, competition, um, the property tax assessment, those can defeat your best efforts at um, kind of defending your right to own property. So since Mm -hmm. we did the project back in 2003, um, there's new tools. Um, Cooperatives are much more recognized as a stable uh, financial investment from a banking viewpoint, which is key. Um, Community land trust is a way that a community can take control of the property and take it out of the marketplace and demand that when property um, taxes are assessed that the value of the property and its contribution to the community is mm-hmm. is the value, not its future market value. So, so there's new tools at hand um, that that we can use today, and so that will help mm-hmm. an artist community tremendously. Um, when I attended the Bill Strickland Entrepreneurial Workshop. We networked with um, executive directors of arts organizations all across the country that are all facing displacement and high real estate values. And there was a lot that we learned just from each other um, in how to be early, how to organize, you know, a development team, how to finance how to think big and maybe share it with other organizations. So um, I really, truly believe that collaboration is um, the real strategy of, of moving forward with this project. And I feel like there's an, a new era in Chicago with their new mayor. Um, and if, primary development forces are operating at a corporate level. We have to be just as smart as they are and develop our resources mm-hmm. on a community level. Um, so. Okay. Awesome. That, that really, really helps. And Kayla, you and I, we had lunch a while back or, or actually breakfast and we got to talking about similar issues in Bronzeville, can you kind of drill down, you know, piggyback off what Laura was talking about? You know, she talked about the fact that this problem exists around the world, and she also indicated that now might be a pretty good time to um, capitalize on some of the changes at 
the city level to create opportunity. So can you give us a little feel for some of the dynamics in the Bronzeville community and the projects that you're thinking about for Bronzeville? So Bronzeville is one of the communities of interest, and it initiated uh, me reaching out to Laura specifically for this project we're working on, uh, mm-hmm. initiated from her reaching out to me about the Bronzeville Artist Loft rental development that still exists in Bronzeville. And then me living in Bronzeville and actually being a homeowner of a two-flat in Bronzeville and having all these vacant lots, having had considerable conversations with the aldermen at the time, the Community Development Corporation at the time, all of which changed leadership and just Mm -hmm. kind of that whole dynamic, all of them very interested, very open because there were um, desires to develop affordable housing in different areas of Bronzeville and in particular also even near where I was living at the time, which as Laura and you spoke to earlier, you know, when whatever communities we live in as artists, we tend to add to the value that's in that community, whether we're asked to or not. It's just kind of just something we do. Mm-hmm. It's how we function. Right. And so at right. that time, initially, Bronzeville was my area of interest. With the changes of leadership in the Community Development Corporation, in the Alderman's Office, and in me moving out of the Bronzeville community back to actually a house that I owned also um, in, in the Avalon neighborhood, um, we just, Laura and I started, I reached out to Laura. We both were on the same page. She's like, absolutely. I, you know, she wanted to partner together to develop this because it's all in keeping with what's of value um, to what she has done, what Near Northwest Arts Council has done and wants to do more of. However, in moving back to the neighborhood that I live in now, I started thinking bigger than just Bronzeville. That still is a community of mm-hmm. interest, but our list is, uh, in Chicago specifically is um, Bronzeville, Avalon, Chatham, South Shore, Greater Auburn, Gresham, and for some reason I'm drawing a total blank. Laura, China, Grand Crossing. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Grand Crossing. Oh um, my goodness. Yes. So those are all areas of interest, um, awesome. and some of it is also led by the interest and resources of the community, the leadership, and the opportunities that exist in those neighborhoods, all of them can benefit. But Bronzeville is really where it mm-hmm. started, so that's why we probably were focused on that conversation. Mm-hmm. All of these communities can benefit, want it, need it. Um, mm-hmm. What I found myself personally, which kind of piggybacks to a question you asked earlier, what I found Kiela as a person, artist, Desiring to own property, even coming from a family of architects, my father owned property, a few different ones I helped him with, but I never really had any guidance to say, okay, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Um, This is who you go talk Mm -hmm. to. So I I had a child and I somehow ended up in the mortgage industry. It was a weird thing that happened. But um, And I was writing mortgages, and so I began to understand the process, and I really, it, it fueled my desire to own. But I was still this individual siloed artist who, although I did community-based collaborative work, in terms of owning where I lived and having some control over that and feeling that pride and sense of ownership 
being able to do what I want. If I wanted to paint a mural on the inside of my house, or if I wanted to paint my garage, or if I, you know, wanted to do the creative things that artists mm-hmm. do where they live, I could do that without having to ask permission. But one, I wasn't certain how to do that. And two, I didn't know if I could do that. Like I hadn't given myself full permission. And now to this day, I still own this property. I have great value I've derived by owning it 21 years that I live in, but I'm still this solo person in a community that half the time doesn't even know I'm here. And that, so there's not the larger support that a project like what we're talking about doing um, can provide artists because that ongoing support is an equally important value in addition to the ownership um, that exists with development like we're talking about that can hedge Mm -hmm. gentrification for the artist so like for me example just me as an individual I own a property so I'm not worried about rent going up I know what my mortgage is at some point I won't have one but I didn't necessarily want to do that as a solo person I would have felt a lot more confident a lot more knowledgeable a lot more supportive had I done it in community and so with this project we're working on, which I know we'll get to talking about a little later, um, I was really able, you know, we're really able to work on creating that more, again, on the south side of Chicago. That's not to say other parts of town don't deserve it, need it, or want it. Um, That's just where our focus is currently. And Bronzeville, obviously, as one of those south side communities. All righty. I am going to open this up for questions and comments. I see that we have a caller from area code 312-286-5697. I'm not sure if this person is calling just to listen or if this person has a question. So I'm going to make the, the mic live. And if you have a question, your, your mic is live, um, please share a question or comment. Introduce yourself first. <clears throat> yeah, my name is Al Lewis. I'm a good friend of Kiela's, and I know she's smiling when she sees me because she's been <laughs> talking about this for uh, such a very long time, and I have always been the sounding board to what uh, she's trying to do. And, and, hey, look, I say, look, I, that's something I would like to do. I feel the same way about that. And uh, I just want to mm-hmm. mention that there's no other person, I think, uh, because I know she's a personal friend of mine that um, that is more uh, committed to a to a uh, uh, project uh, like uh, she is, and um, I told her, if, you know, if any time uh, I mean I own property, and and uh, uh, I thought it was a great idea what she was saying because a lot of artists are in that situation, and she was telling me about some of the things that the the uh, artists, some of the problems that the artists were having, who wanted to live their dreams, you know, it's very really, it's tough when you don't have a, have a place to stay or can afford to stay. You don't need a lot of room for creating. So, uh, my uh, question to her uh, and her guest is number one: uh, Where do you see this going in terms of uh, investors, things like uh, things of that nature, or uh, people who who see the idea, the thought? Uh, that her and her partners are getting together, how can they invest in these uh, projects that she has going? I'll uh, turn it back over to you guys. And thank you. Thank you. 
great question. Kayla? Great question. And thank you, Al, for calling in. That was a surprise. I uh, <laughs> I didn't even know I shared this with you, but thank you. I actually <laughs> am going to defer initial answering, if I might, Laura, to sure. you, because I know we've talked about this a lot, but I know um, you have some specific thoughts that are clearer <laughs> than mine yeah. at the moment. Well, it's it's a great question because more and more people, just like Al, are interested in investing in their local community. Um, I would call them patient investors because they're not looking for a huge return, um, but they do want to see happen, you know, change happen and and fund projects that make a difference. Um, the examples that I can point to right now are in New York and Oakland, California, and um, artists and community activists have created a cooperative real estate company that is a developer that um, can attract investors, um, offer loans to the users as mortgage or bridge loans. Um, there are some restrictions. Uh, New York is a tougher market to do that in because if you lend money to a project, um, the issue of fraud is something that's on their minds and they need a securities exchange commission approval to accept monies. Um, Oakland has a great example where as a 501c3, they can accept donations for projects. Um, and so state law affects it. I think in, and we're kind of early at figuring out how or what's needed um, in Chicago to make this effective, but we have some great partners that are very interested in cooperatives and how they're financed and how they can attract investors. So we're working with the Chicago Community Loan Fund, and there's going to be a new cooperative resource center established um, in partnership with the Chicago Rehab Network. So. Um, so we're kind of in the works creating the mechanisms to attract investment. So we're pretty excited about that. Okay, awesome. I am, you know, as you guys are talking, I'm also engaged in a chat with um, one of our, I, I would call him a follower. He may, he may or she may say something different. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yes, well, when, when you get that question, I just wanted to piggyback what Laura said, just to add and put out there. We have okay. we're undecided at the moment. We're more mm -hmm. in an education educational um, um, circle right now, learning about how to create and utilize opportunity zone funding. Um, for, if we end up with a property that's in an opportunity zone, it, it can be kind of a complex um, legal heavy option that doesn't function mm -hmm. as a true like uh, like a money market fund on that level, but it does allow 
or people say like what Al, Al um, Lewis's question was, someone who maybe has some capital gains, they want to defer and they're, they have a long view like Laura uh, mentioned and they'd like to put some money into a project that has impact like this and defer um, some or all of their taxes. And so we're, we're researching that as well as a possible option uh, to bring mm -hmm. in some additional investment. Okay, so it's interesting. You guys can't see this, but I'm also engaged in the chat with one of our followers. He calls himself Purple Pill. That's his screen name. And he raised a very interesting concept, you know, and, and this I know is uh, subject to further exploration, further advocacy. It could take years and years but he raises a really interesting concept about a lodial title. That's A-L-L-O-D-I-A-L title. And he says, you know, unfortunately there is no allodial title or deed in the United States. And he says a lodial title constitutes ownership of real property, and that includes land, buildings, and fixtures, that is independent of any superior landlord. The lodial title is related to the concept of land held in allodium or land ownership by occupancy and defense of the land. He says allodial means free from the tenural rights of a lord as opposed to feudal land. It refers to absolute ownership of land by individuals rather than feudal property ownership, which is dependent on relationship to a lord or the sovereign. A lodial mm -hmm. land is not subject to any rent, service, or acknowledgement to a superior. And he says uh, this is something that, um, I guess it, it may happen overseas. In Europe, it sounds like it could be. And he is from Santa Rosa, Island, at least that's where he was born, Santa Rosa Island. So, um, those, those is are that in comments. the U.S.? You know, uh, he says it's typically not in the U.S., and you know, and that oh, okay. might be one of our issues. We and Purple Pill, if you're listening, you can clarify, you know, let me know if I'm um, getting something wrong. Sometimes you can miss things in translation, mm -hmm. translation from the written, especially if you. You've never heard of the concept before. But yeah. I'm getting the sense from what he's writing that um, that um, <laughs> that part of it is, you know, an issue with taxation. So so that's something further uh -huh. for you know, for further ex exploration. Sure. And in the and United like States and Native American um land reservations etc is deeded to them and it's not taxed and it's not policed and it's not you know they have their own separate jurisdiction um so it seems like that would suit the definition um but i don't know where that gets you you know, it's okay. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Um, and yeah. perhaps it is something non-US. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I know I've heard of, I actually know an artist 
on the south side of Chicago who enacted mm-hmm. what he called squatters' rights. There was a vacant uh-huh. building. He squatted in it, and over a certain whatever length of time he was supposed to in order, then he went to court and ended up gaining ownership of the building. Subsequently, the lot next door has owned this building for years now and developed it, has sculptures outside, done what all of what we've talked about artists do in the communities we live in. And um, so I know that's not exactly the same thing Purple Pill is talking about, but um, sure, mm-hmm. that's just what came to mind when you said that, is being able sure. to, yeah. And I think that's uh-huh. a question in Detroit, that so much um, land and property has been abandoned, and one of the reasons um, to, like, get it off, the um, I don't know to have laws that recognize squatters' rights so that they could earn clear title and um, you know have enjoyment from what they've invested in over the years. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know if squatting is the best for a group of artists to do. No, I don't. I'm not recommending that. <laughs> And I think that's a good uh, segue to actually, um, I know at the end you're going to ask for us to share our contact mm-hmm. info, but for this specific project that we're that Laura and I mm-hmm. are working to in the pre-development um, is intended to be a co-op, co-owned mm-hmm. in a cooperative ownership model with the land trust as a mixed-use multi unit, 25 units of mixed-use space, meaning, i.e., resident majority residential space where artists can live and work, and then um, three, potentially four, maybe even five, depends on how the planning with the artist community goes, um, commercial spaces that can be owned mm-hmm. also by either nonprofits or organizations or entities that would serve the hyper-local community of the cooperative as well as the larger surrounding neighborhood um, and in that we will be convening sooner than later um, hopefully mm-hmm. by the beginning of the year convening some meetings with interested creatives and artists who um, want to know more who would be interested in living in a development such as this uh, etc mm-hmm. okay um, I got a note from someone and then I also have a call. So I'm going to take the call first and then I'll come back to the note. This is very, very interesting and I'm looking at the time. Um, It's 2.46. We have until 3 o'clock. Do you want to do a hard stop at 3 or do you have a little bit of time where we can stay a little bit longer, maybe about 10 minutes over? I've got time, so I'm eager. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can also. Okay. Okay, awesome. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. I'm going to uh, make another mic live. Um, caller, you're at 773-766-4488. I'm going to make your mic live. If you have any questions or comments, please share. Okay, you're live now. Yeah. Um, questions or comments? Yes, this is Leslie. Good afternoon, ladies. Leslie Page Piper. 
Good afternoon, ladies. Uh, thank you so much for facilitating this presentation, Valerie, and thank you so much for doing mm-hmm. this, Kayla and Laura. Kayla and I have some years back as well. My question oh, is, awesome. um, will there be any incorporation or looking at whether there can be any aesthetic data that can be gathered from uh, the patron of the arts ecosystem as well that values so much the work that's done and presented by visual artists as well as musical artists. I know myself, I'm a musical artist, but I go to church when I go to these events and everything, and they, and they come into our communities. And I'm wondering, is there some way that that can undergird also and help to push the need and the receptivity for um, uh, lending institutions to look favorably at assisting these co-ops for um, artists living to live in as well as to demonstrate their artwork. I want, are you asking if there are other entities in the community that can assist oh. with having lending institutions look more favorably on a project like I'm, this? I'm saying is there, is there a way to, to, to capture data from those that love and benefit so much from the aesthetic energy from art? that can be captured to help to promote uh, the importance that those of us feel for artists to have livable co-op space as well as those in which they can present their artistic works. So my personal opinion, and, and this is really, I am not a sarcastic person at all, although it might sound this way, so money talks, as they say, and there's definitely value in, as we said, you know, the non-financial culture that uh, the 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 culture that artists bring to a community. But those who are are the consumers of the culture, if I'm understanding you right, Leslie, correct? Yes. Like mm-hmm. for for them to be able to help leverage supporting developments like this, whether it be with the funders or otherwise, I I think there's um, a variety of ways that the the consumers of the culture that creatives and artists create is, well one is is money I mean yes they come out to mm-hmm. events but putting money into it, it kind of to Al's question like being an investor of sorts to say hey we want this sort of thing that helps people like us doing developments like this to leverage conversations with lenders to say, this isn't just the artist saying we want and need affordable space, but there's the larger community who wants this also. And people are putting their money on the line to say, Hey, I want to help uh, be a part of this as well as their voice and their hands in the community process that th- these developments require, because since it is people first, we don't start from, as a developer might, oh, we want to do this development. It's got this return on investment, and we're going to do it over this time. We look at it and say, okay, what does the community need and want? How can we help give the voice and gather that data, Leslie, for what the community wants? And that, in our minds, the community is also the larger community. Obviously, the artists get the say in how the development looks, how it functions, what it provides. But the larger community can have a voice as well in helping form because they're in being the consumers as well as having and building these relationships with the creatives. Um, their voice is important too. 
So, Laura, you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I want to say there's there's all kinds of ways that the community can kind of help make this project happen. And that's by donating services that kind of help us get to the goal line, um, donating mm-hmm. labor. Um, you could host a party, a fundraiser. Um, it could be donating furniture or equipment, um, supplies, you know, for um, for the entities that are going to be in this center. Um, you know, if there's three or four spaces for, if 20% of the project is dedicated to um, business use, that's either non-for-profits or commercial, um, all of those entities, as well as our artists who have live work space upstairs, um, all have an idea about their entrepreneurial service in the community and how they're going to, and there's certain things that they're going to need, but we can facilitate a shared space that has copiers, computers, software equipment, and the like. So mm-hmm. I think once we have an address and we've got end users talking about what they want in this project, we're, we're, our intention is to have the same discussions with the community as part of designing and, and managing that space and what they can bring to it. So hosting a coffee with other people and encouraging investment or donations is a perfect way to start. So um, it can be small or as big as you want to dream. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, yeah, awesome. Along the line in terms of the phases of this, I just was wondering whether it would be beneficial to have that demonstration of the value from people in the community in terms of how it's appreciated in terms of the arts. Sure. For sure. Well, the things that Laura mentioned as well, can we can reflect as in-kind contributions toward a budget. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are real. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I... Um, this is awesome. I'm going to have to put you guys in contact with the next, um, well, with the person who left this comment. I don't think she's still on. I think she had to leave, but she had a very interesting comment. This is Diana Long, and she runs the Urban Art Retreat, and I'm so sorry that she can't hear your response, so I'm going to put you guys in contact. Her question or comment is, we're working on a project to revitalize the area around the Kedzie Pink Line stop. So that's in North Lawndale. So that's Kedzie right around 21st Street. Our hope is that it will become an arts district. We will begin with murals, flower beds, outdoor sculptures, and more. We are planning an art walk for both Little Village and North Lawndale, volunteer pairs project to greet people at CTA stops with brochures about both neighborhoods and, you know, that's Little Village and North Lawndale. 
and what there is to do in the area, plus help increase security. In addition to beautifying the area, we hope to build a resource center with space for a gallery, cafe, youth program, thrift store, florist shop, and more on the first floor. On the second and third floors, we hope for spaces for artists, entrepreneurs, and service providers. As we grow, the neighborhood will too. Do you have advice for us and what order do things come in? And this is Diana. And again, it looks like she had to leave, but other people listening may have similar questions, and I will put you guys in in touch so you could talk further. Yeah, that sounds great. They've got a lot of ideas. Artists are kind of long on vision, and all they have to do is partner up with somebody who knows how to put the numbers behind it. <laughs> and have a business plan, and you're two-thirds of the way there to getting the financing. So it's um, so I congratulate them on they've got a wonderful vision, and the first thing I'd ask is what does your business plan look like? Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, have been okay. like we're working on feasibility studies as well to show because when you do have to come up with or find the money for that they've got to show Mm -hmm. other it helps to show other successful projects and in some cases Mm -hmm. unsuccessful ones and what they did that you don't intend to do or need to avoid Um, because yeah vision vision is big but in the end even though our projects uh, focus on a different way of development than the traditional development still in the end, it has to be funded. It has, you know, construction mm-hmm. costs mm-hmm. money, uh, fee, you know, there's fees for everything. And, and you've got to mm-hmm. be able to show, not just show the vision. You got to be able to show how and where, what money is needed, where it's going to come from, at least your hope of where it's going to come from and working to build um, those collaborations and, and um, places where you can see getting that support. I I used to, mm-hmm. part of what I think fueled me wanting to do this, a, a piece of it was the, um, you know how when you're a kid, if your parents say, and maybe it's just how I was as a kid, your parents say you can't do something that you really want to do, you're going to prove them wrong, right? Well, mm-hmm. right, I right, think, right. <laughs> I think growing up myself, Kiela, personally, having an architect for a father and hearing him say things like, you know, he never said, I'm tired of people coming to me with projects and they don't have the money to go with it and they've got all this great vision. But he said that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it used to, um, it would make me sad in one way. Like, but because of the heart and the person that he is and the grassroots roots that he has and believes in, he would sit down and talk with the people. He'd consult with them. He wouldn't charge them for an initial consultation. And he would talk to them about their idea. And then in the end, 50% or more of the time, it's like, oh, well, we don't have any money. Or, oh, like Mm -hmm. they haven't even given thought to where it's going to come from. And so what was kind of funny, I don't know if you got a chuckle out of it, Laura, when we actually sat down with Smith and Smith, Charles Smith, to talk about this project, he listened and I could tell he was real like suspect. And then in the end, 
he's like, oh, okay, we have something to talk about because we gave him a pro forma. We gave him a budget that I have to give kudos to Laura, who is just, she's just masterful with that, um, that showed real numbers and real thought to these are the steps we need. This is the funding. I mean, this is what it's going to cost. These are some of the places we're hoping and planning to get funding from. And maybe there's some holes in there that we need to fill. But if you just go to people who you would like to collaborate with or ask for support and you don't have any clarity on what it needs to, to be created, like how much it's going to cost, it's kind of mm-hmm. like shooting in the wind. Right. <laughs> So the other thing that I want to add to the discussion is when we were doing our feasibility study and looking at artist housing, one of the things that we learned was that there's an effective scale that makes it more cost effective. It's more cost Mm -hmm. effective to do 25 units that are 50,000 square feet than it is to do three units with, um, um, you know, for less than 10,000 square feet. So mm-hmm. your dollars right. go a lot further by thinking you don't want to be too big because then it's a little unwieldy for the folks living there and there's too many, too many cooks in the pot. But um, <laughs> um, I think that the way... Um, Diane described her project in multi-floors and they were going to, you know, have a resource center and have um, related services like a cafe and a resale shop um, and artist workspace and the like. Um, the, The scale of it is not the challenge, I think, just putting mm-hmm. real numbers behind it. And so you just need some accounting kind of negotiating help on your side to be realistic. And um, so it sounds like a um, a good project. It sounds like a good scale, too. It'll have some real impact mm-hmm. on the community with that many people coming to it for all those different services. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I would add, and I know we're kind of answering her question and more, but one of the mm-hmm. things I would add is, is say an example from years ago. There's a an organization in Chicago that's a jazz, well, I can't narrow it into jazz, but a musician's organization in Chicago that wanted to, was interested to develop, they thought something similar to this. I worked with another woman who, um, had a background in real estate. She was very committed to the arts. And her and I worked quite diligently also with an architect, and we brought to the table to this organization a plan. And we said, mm-hmm. in order to move forward with this plan, you're going to need this financing. And so initially we're going to have your executive director or your board or whomever is going to have to sign on the dotted line. And when they saw the, the dollar amount of $1 million, they freaked out. They just, it was like, oh, my God, who's going to put their name Mm -hmm. on that? And so it just fizzled. And that's not a judgment of them so much as just, I think, uh, um, 
my advocacy towards and our advocacy with this project and ones like it to say that's the value of shared space and of a Mm -hmm. a collaborative one on the scale that we're talking about. So you're not just talking about an individual or a group of individuals that's one entity, like saying, okay, we commit to paying this money back, but it's kind of spread out amongst everyone with shared responsibility. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? It makes sense to me. Um, and then I can make sure that you and Diana, you know, at least talk. I, I think uh-huh. you guys will really, really like Diana. She's she's a wonderful, wonderful person. Has done some wonderful things in the North Lawndale community. You know, she has an urban art retreat. She took a an old, uh, I don't know if the house was vacant, but, but she took an old house, about 100 years or so old, and convert it into an art space. So there is, you know, she lives there. I don't know if she might have one or two people who board there, and then there's arts programming. You know, she's created a peace park and a number of other really wonderful activities, all on a very small budget, and she's looking to expand what she's doing. But We'd love love to talk with her. Awesome. Yeah, I think you guys will probably have a lot to share, a lot to share. All righty. So, so thank you, ladies, for um, going into that. That that was really, really good, and I think a number of other people listening would have similar questions. And, Diana, um, if you listen to the recording, I thank you so much for bringing that up. That was really good. Um, you caused us to cut to the chase, so so thank you so much. Um, so where are we? Laura, 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 Laura. Uh-huh. It took took you guys about 12 years just doing advocacy. You know, as you and Kiela mentioned earlier, that when you uh-huh. first started, it was not necessarily your vision to get into the business of development, but really advocate for affordable spaces. And, um, I guess over your journey, you, you saw that it was probably better or more expeditious, expeditious to have ownership, an ownership model. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that you accomplished? Now, can you give us somewhat of a timeline? I know you shared some of it, but what were those mm-hmm. things that led you, specific milestones that led you from policy and advocacy to being a developer, among other things? Well, um, first off, we had this brilliant plan of housing artists, and um, it didn't seem to exist in the minds of the planning and city housing agencies until they had a problem that and we were a solution. <laughs> I got <you>. so, <laughs> Right. So um, as we were defining our problems, somehow that didn't register. It didn't exist in their minds. But when they defined a problem and they wanted to see condo, affordable condos, they looked around the city and they saw, you know, 
um, multi-unit buildings all over the place. And if they were to creatively make condo mortgages more affordable to families, they would create um, increased housing opportunities in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. so in one respect, it defeated our idea about a cooperative. Um, But we we desperately needed the city to be a partner because we needed their subsidies in order to make it affordable to, to artists. Um, Mm -hmm. One strategy that we had, because um, we kept getting mid-level management in housing and economic development loved our idea because it combined workplace development with affordable housing and it was suitable for, for um, families. Um, but mm-hmm. the higher ups didn't get it. Um, and they just didn't even uh, want to allow the discussion. So when Mayor Daly was running um, for reelection, I had friends at our community um, development group and I was recognized mm-hmm. and was able to ask him a question. And I said, Mayor Daly, there are a number of us that are trying to make affordable housing for artists. And I got a round of applause from my neighbors, which was heartfelt. That just was tremendous. But I said, you know, we really need interagency support in order to get this project done. And he said, if I'm elected, you've got it. So that was a little analysis of power, you know, where we had a perfectly mm-hmm. good idea and it satisfied the needs of the city agencies. It wasn't until the guy at the top saw value in our project that we could make any significant um, um, that we, we couldn't get past our challenges. And so mm-hmm. we had the meeting. Every city department was instructed by the mayor to make whatever resources they had available make this project a success. So that was, was very helpful. Um, it's not mm-hmm. like anybody wrote us a blank check. We still had to jump through all of their hoops. But... Before then, nobody was listening, or they found it very easy just to to push it aside. So even though we had a 48-page business plan, people really didn't take the time to read it or understand it. So, um, mm. so I mean, that's not to say that the business plan isn't important. You have to go through those steps. You have to know where your income's coming from. You have to know how much construction's going to cost. You have to know how your people are going to afford it over a period of time. And you have to have some contingency funds. But if you can defend all of that, that's, um, that will make your investors feel more comfortable about your project. Um, trying to think of what else. Foundations are not fond of putting money into capital projects. 
And so we really mm-hmm. kind of ran into a, a brick wall as far as that was concerned. But they do like community development, and they do like to have their names, you know, attached to successful projects. And so mm-hmm. we're confronting that situation in a way of breaking down the steps to get through development is training and financial education and how we share this model in a public, you know, as common um, open resource software. We'll, we'll write a workbook and share that. We'll have training workshops um, and document that. And mm-hmm. um, so that, that those processes get us to um, capitalize the building, but I think foundations um, will and corporations will be more ready to kind of buy into our project. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. We are over time, but I, I want to get one last question from, well, one last question answered from each of you, and you really have to come back either on a podcast or a crowdcast or whatever, you know, because, I mean, this subject, you know, there's just so much we have not touched on. Mm-hmm. And my, my question to you both is what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? <laughs> That's a big question, and we'd love to come back. <laughs> you have to come back and, and continue. Some of the yeah, continue the yeah, conversation. And, yeah. and the check in you know, and let you know where we are in the process because, you know, we haven't really delved into the details of what this project is, but um, yeah. definitely we'd be yeah. honored to come back. Well, yeah, I that think, would be awesome Kiela, we've we've touched a nerve with community interest because there, there is tremendous interest in the project. So, yes. um, mm-hmm. so there's, they're, they're asking us questions, you know, we have to mm-hmm. kind of be more specific. Um, mm-hmm. One lessons learned that I want to share just quickly. I had a long conversation with one of my neighbors and we've been living next door to each other for um, 16 years. And Mm -hmm. she said that the opportunity of coming into the housing project was the best thing that ever happened to her because she learned how to work in a team, how to set goals, Mm. how to um, write a business plan. She learned so what she learned first off was to have faith in herself because I had faith in her and was encouraging. And she's Mm -hmm. taken all of those skills of participating in a committee and hiring consultants and managing Mm -hmm. a budget. And um, it led her into a new career. She's a writer and she founded Mm a, um, a publication that was successful and she went on to uh, into development and used her skills 
as a grant writer and deepen those skills in contributing to bond funding for schools and quite sophisticated. Oh, wow. And so it's it's hands-on learning, and this is part of the social equity that both a co-op model and kind of hands-on development and artists working together um, Mm -hmm. stimulates um, those entrepreneurial initiatives. So there's not a lot written about how that happens, but... um, She's mm-hmm. made me think. <laughs> think. Yeah, um, you guys should write the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do- docu- document that process. You know, because what I'm hearing is this is not just real estate development. You know, this is social right. capital development. This is community Absolutely. building in its purest form. It's capacity building. You know, Absolutely. you guys have done a whole lot more than than meets the eye. You, you know, you definitely didn't share that with me in, in our little meeting, and you definitely didn't capture it on the website. And I think you're right. It's very hard to capture, and sometimes you're not necessarily thinking about that. I, I guess those are unintended consequences, but they're mm-hmm. great unintended well, consequences. They- you know, I think there is there's an idea out here and perhaps a reality for some that things have to happen in silos and, or in verticals, mm-hmm. kind of as the traditional market speaks of it. And the, mm-hmm. my experience, and I guess speaking to your lessons learned um, and our lessons learned from this project is ongoing, but mm-hmm. that ev- everything – that's created in the world and us just be, being creative that just happens to be that way as well is, is through a collaborative process and collective mm-hmm. work, you have mm-hmm. ideas created, you have power, you have things done in a way that incorp- are more holistic, that do incorporate the things you're saying. This isn't just the real estate development. It's also, it's human capital development. It's entrepreneurial development. It's community development. And a true development that is a community development should incorporate all those things. It should mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. the people as a whole, not just the ROI of the development. And I will say that's been one of my frustrations. And I guess you could call it a lesson learned is that traditional developers or real estate investors are not the people to be talking to because their first question to me is always, well, what's the ROI? They want to know. They're not looking at social impact return on investment. They're just looking at what's the dollar for dollar percentage. They just want to know what are they going to get out of the deal. And Mm -hmm. you've got to see, you've got to see beyond that. You've got to see the more of the, of the picture that the project is because it is more than that. And you'll get, you'll, you'll, Anyway, I don't want to stay mm-hmm. on my soapbox because I know we're almost done, but we will uh, have a website coming out soon specifically mm-hmm. around um, what we're doing and um, a toolkit that will be that will exist at some point uh, in, the, in the future um, that will help other people understand better how to implement something like this mm-hmm. in their locale and um, in mm-hmm. the interim 
right now people can email us um, with interest in either collaborating or resources or connect, just connecting with us at an email address in the project name, which is artist design the future at gmail.com. Mm. And that's artists with an S, so plural. Artists design the future at gmail.com. Um, and so that's just the bigger project idea. And um, it will also be the website name. But if pe- anyone who's interested to know more, know when our community meetings are going to happen, um, email us there and we'll add them to our list and let everyone know when the website comes out and when we'll be having more meetings. <laughs> Okay, great. And at some point, it, it sounds to me, too, like you have a body of work that you can also share a case study that could mm-hmm. generate yes. even more interest in this type of project. So, I don't know, my my little brain is churning here. <laughs> so to think of ways to get yes. back in contact with you guys. <laughs> For so. sure, we'd love that. Well, thank okay. you so much. Awesome. All righty, um, we better get off this this podcast now um, so we have something to talk about when you come back again. But um, I want to thank you so much, ladies. Um, we have been talking to Kiela Smith-Upton as, <clears throat> as well as Laura Weathered, and they have just given us so much to think about. They've only scratched the surface of what they've been able to do. So before we go... Um, just give us, you know, 30-second parting thoughts and repeat how we can get in touch with you, please. Parting thoughts. Um, you can reach me at uh, laura at org. So it's N-N-W-A-C dot O-R-G. Our webpage is at nwac.org, so it stands for Near Northwest Arts Council, nnwac.org. And um, because we're a people-powered development team, we're very interested in um, getting anyone who's the least bit interested, excited about our project, and involved because we're um, kind of building our community people first and the rest of it will fall in line. So I encourage folks to contact us. Okay. So, awesome. And Kiela. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will say what I always tell everybody, which is collaboration is how we thrive. Um, it's mm-hmm. me personally. It's how I've had success in everything with, and we can't do it. You know, you can try to do it alone, but what is that saying? If you if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So mm-hmm. we want to we want to go far. We want to impact our communities. We want to impact the larger community of the U.S. and 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 the world ultimately. But that we have to do this together. And whether that be that you're someone who's interested in our specific local project. To, either be an artist that lives in it or has a space in it or or a community member that wants to contribute ideas, money, resources, or thoughts to it, or you're someone from outside of our local community that has 
some value you can bring as well and that we can bring to you, please reach out to us. I, the, I'll repeat the email again. It's artistdesignthefuture at gmail.com. And if anyone wants to reach me personally, um, you can see probably, I, I can't see the page right now, but um, on the flyer and on the page is my name. You can just Google my name. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm Kiela360 on Instagram. And uh, hopefully that's enough. All righty. Well, thank you, thank you. so much. All righty. So I'm going to close this. Okay. Oh, not a problem, Laura. I, I really do want to get back in contact with you guys. I got an idea, but um, I'll, you know, I'll share that with you. Um, at any rate, I want to thank everyone for listening to today's episode of Nonprofit Utopia. I encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review, and we have also included instructions in the comment section to guide you through that process. And I want to encourage you, you know, join us next week for another lively discussion. We'll be talking with Cecilia Conrad, and Cecilia is the Managing Director of the MacArthur Fellows and 100 and Change Program, as well as the CEO for Lever for Change. She's going to be talking about an upcoming competition that will help jumpstart urban economic development. So until that time, I will talk to you later. Take care, and thank you for for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Valerie. All righty. And purple pill, au revoir to you, and peace to you. Thank you for for your insights. That that was someone who um, shared with us. And then, Diana, if you have come back, thank you for joining us. Take care. All right. Bye, everybody.